Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast. Thank you so much to our patrons that have donated to our Patreon page. And thank you so much to each one of our listeners. You are continuing to spread the message about our podcast, and you're really helping our podcast grow and reach a wider audience. Wishing all of our listeners a Shana Tova and a Ketiva Vichatima Tova. Hope that you all have a wonderful, sweet, happy, and healthy year ahead. And may we all be blessed with many blessings. And may we merit to see the coming of Mashiach very, very soon. In this episode, we interview Batsheva Frankel. And she worked in the film industry for many years, but decided to leave it for a more meaningful career in education. Using her creativity, she taught in various school settings and is now an educational consultant. Bacheva teaches professional development workshops and courses through New Lens Ed, and she has a Master's of Arts in Teaching from the American Jewish University and a Bachelor's Degree in Drama from NYU, which prepared her for creating a podcast called Overthrowing Education, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and other platforms. More recently, Bacheva has partnered with Dr. Sandra Lilienthal and Sari Kapitnikov, and you may listen to each of their interviews featured in previous episodes of our podcast, and they created Door the Door Delivery, a Jewish innovative approach to professional development and adult learning. So in this episode, Batsheva and I talk a lot about the need for family education and how to make learning about Judaism and Torah relevant and really catering education to each individual student. We talk a lot about adult education and how to incorporate experiential learning and making the classroom interactive, but also thinking a little bit outside of the box of how could we better reach our students by possibly not just sitting down in a classroom? How can we make it more interactive so our students can really learn and develop and really learn things in their way. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Batsheva. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you a bit more. And we just, uh, <laughs> we just, will you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in Jewish education? Sure. Um, I actually started out my work career working in the film industry. That was my passion. Um, as a, I love performing, but also really as a director. And I was working, you know, more behind the camera stuff that I was really interested in. And then I start about after about eight and a half years of that, I started to not feel good. Like I, I felt like it was sucking my soul out. <laughs> and it sounds dramatic, but it really did feel like that. So I kind of gave it all up for a more glamorous and lucrative career in Jewish education. 
thought about what is something that I really, really care about that would have meaning in my life and that I also thought I'd be really good at. And so I decided to go into Jewish education at the time because I really wanted to help in any way that I could. But I also knew that I didn't really know enough to teach in terms of content. So I had to figure out, I had to go learn what it was that I didn't even know, right? So so I did that for a while and I did lots of learning and then I started working, you know, over 25 years ago, I started teaching and I think I sort of luffed my way through the first year or two, but I learned so much and every year along the way, I just kept learning and growing and discovering new things, which I still do after 25 years. I'm still learning and growing and both in content, but also in pedagogy, you know, how I'm teaching and my philosophy of education and so forth just keeps growing, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you currently teaching in the classroom now or is door-to-door delivery kind of your main project? My main project is New Lens Ed, which is my education consulting business. And so mostly what I do is I'm not in a classroom per se right now, although I will be teaching an in-person podcasting course for teens coming up, which I've done online a couple of times with schools back east, but I'm in Los Angeles. So I actually get to do it in person, which is very exciting. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. But really what I do is a lot of professional development workshops, courses and classes for educators all over the world. And I presented a lot of conferences and I do a do coaching and consulting, and I write curriculum for, I do curriculum design of really active, uh, student-centered, experiential learning kinds of things for different schools and programs uh, in the United States, mostly throughout the United States. So that's kind of what I mostly do. And then door-to-door delivery just became this amazing extra project that is so very exciting. First off, it like you mentioned about teaching teens podcasting, it's so amazing how this field, this industry just has really exploded. I think maybe over the past five years, it's whereas before it started so small and now it seems just like if you want to talk about a topic, get a podcast, you know, it's just <laughs> such a great way to reach people. It really is. And I mean, even three years ago, that's when I uh, released my um, podcast. And even three years ago, there I had to explain to people what a podcast was. I had to help them, you know, here's how you find it on your phone. Wow. <laughs> like really walk people through it. And now, you know, everybody and their cousin has a podcast, which is great. I mean, for teens, it's really, really great because it gives them a voice and agency and they get to explore something they're really interested in. And the ones I've been doing have been in the Jewish world. So it's usually, you know, it's got a a Jewish vibe to it and it, and it involves some research and so forth. And students really love it. I mean, it's a, it's a great way for them to express themselves. So cool. Are there any educators who have inspired you or whom you particularly admire? Oh my gosh, so many. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's hard to pick. (laughs) It is. Well, so I also work in the general ed world, but a lot of the things I've learned 
over the years, even from my general ed teachers that were so amazing, I've applied to the Jewish world. So my, I have to give the shout out to my third grade teachers at Mark Twain Elementary School in Littleton, Colorado at the time. Wow. And they rocked my world. They showed me how amazing education could be, how creative it could be, how how interesting it could be and active it could be. It was like, you know, I I really, they to me are kind of a the early model. And then over the years, I've had some really great teachers. As an adult, I'm really inspired by different kinds of teachers. My teachers at Israelite, Rabbi David Aaron and Rav Bini, and also at Midrash Rachel, where I learned for a while. Rabbi Shuren, who is amazing. And now I'm really obsessed with a teacher that I'm learning with, and I keep adding more classes because she's so incredible, Rebetzin Yehudas Galshevsky. And she's in Israel, but luckily through Zoom, the magic of Zoom, I get to learn with her a couple times a week. And um, I'm she is just like my, you know, my, I don't know what. <laughs> she, she's incredible. She's really a great educator. So yeah, so there's so many and so many in my secular education as well, just showing me what to do. And of course, there's the ones who I've had that have been like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Inspired by them too. I'm inspired to do something completely different. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, your background too. Would you say that your background helped you with the creativity so that you can develop curriculums and design more experiential type learning for children, for students? Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm, I think in a very, very creative way, I was a drama major at NYU. Um, That's my background. I've always been acting and directing and different kinds of creative work. And so that's just kind of the way my brain works. So I really love to be able to uh, help teachers who maybe that's not their initial instinct is to work in that way, but I can sort of help lead them and guide them in that way and kind of open up that that um, doorway to being more creative and, and doing more active lessons and thinking in that way. So that's exciting. But yeah, it comes, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm so blessed. It comes naturally to me from, because of that. I I love to see when educators share those kinds of materials because I am not that kind of creative (laughs) type mind. So I love to get ideas of different ways to incorporate more experiential learning. And so I love educators like you who are able to share your expertise in that area. I love doing it. And I think, you know, kids, no matter how young they are, you're not too early to start it's really, it, you just build on it and build on it. And uh, it's amazing what kids can remember sometimes and retain or it kind of lives inside of them and it, you can pull it out later. So I think it's never too early. And I love being able to help teachers and parents and, you know, grandparents to be able to do these kinds of things with their students or their children or their grandchildren for how to take these big ideas, these interesting deep things that mean a lot to us and how to turn that into some active, incredible learning that's very uh, creative and student-centered, but also very relevant and meaningful no matter what age the student is. And I guess that's why I am so loving door-to-door delivery because that's what we get a chance to do. And that to me is, is really special. I agree. I think that's so important with family education that 
parents be involved. I I think that we've kind of outsourced that for a long time. Oh, they're just going to learn that in school. You know, I don't have to be as involved and whether a family is more observant or not, it's still really important to have that involvement and to talk and discuss and come up with games and have debrator at the table, whatever it is, and, and involve the children. And it's really important what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with you so much that parents sometimes are a little bit fearful of the things that they don't know. So they just kind of want to let somebody else take care of it. But the truth is Judaism is something that you never stop learning. Like there's not a time when you're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm good. (laughs) I get it. I get it all. It will never happen because we are different every time we approach the learning, the Torah, the whatever it is. We are a we are different. We come from a different place. And there's so many people who have so many incredible ideas that maybe we haven't heard yet or we haven't connected in that way yet. But what happens is when we give ourselves the opportunity to continue and grow and open ourselves up, open our brains, open our hearts up to it. And then, you know, also for our, for our kids or our students, it models that idea that learning is always, learning is forever. And not just in Judaism, I mean, in general, people, can you imagine somebody saying like they stopped in, you know, I, I studied English in seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, fifth grade. I'm done. I don't need to study literature anymore. Oh, math. Yeah, I did it in seventh grade. We're good. I don't need to know more math. You know what I mean? Like it just wouldn't happen. Nobody would say that. You know, we just, we want to keep learning and growing as we go on. And I think that that's important for everybody. Exactly. Lifelong process. Yeah. Since you're working with so many different people of different backgrounds and really ages and schools, how do you talk about God and how might this different with the various age groups and educators that you work with? So that is such a good question. And I think I think it's such a hard question for so many people that they just don't do it. You know, like they have this great Jewish education and God's not really in there. So I wrote a book called The Jewish Educator's Companion, and I have a whole chapter about how to bring God into the conversation and different different activities that you can do for different age groups and so forth, because it's important to make sure to meet people where they're at. But I think, you know, for for older people, and by older I mean I don't know, fifth grade and up adults, we are so stuck in this paradigm that we are inundated with in this sort of Greco-Christian idea of God being, you know, the guy with the beard and the whatever on the mountain. That's, that's Zeus. That's not God, right? That's, that's nothing to do with Judaism. It has nothing to do with how we understand God. And I also think the word God, by the way, is so loaded with baggage that I try to come up with, you know, try to show how we can use other words to express. And that, you know, God really has so many names and each name is a different aspect that we can try to relate to. But at the end of the day, God is infinite and we are finite. So when people can understand that, we we can understand in our finite minds, we can't even conceive of infinite, what that really, really means. And again, I think we're so stuck with God is over there and I'm here, that picture of oh, God is up in the sky or something like that. And I think even at a young age, we can sort of convey to kids, that's not actually 
what God is, you know? Um, But it's challenging because, of course, as soon as we say what God is, it's limiting. And since God is limitless, then we're already wrong. So (laughs) I kind of try to explain that. And it's, it's not an easy conversation, but it's an exciting conversation. And if you involve the students in it, I, I used to teach seventh grade Tanakh and I loved it. And the kids were so spiritual at that age. Like if you let them be, if you involve them in those conversations, they are amazing and deep and incredible. And oftentimes we don't involve them in those conversations. So that by the time they get to high school and college and they're adults, they're so jaded and they're so inundated, like I said, with other images that have nothing to do with Judaism or, you know, or somehow they've been misled. Um, so I think, I think it's really important for, again, for that to evolve as well. You know, you have to figure out the ages and sort of, you know, what can that age handle? And different kids are different too, by the way. Like I could talk to my, when my son was four years old, we had the most amazing deep conversations. But not every four-year-old can do that. So, but you know your kids and hopefully know your students, if you have students, that uh, you know you know what they can do. I agree with that because everyone's different. You know, we obviously have to find a way to approach each person at their level. Mm-hmm. But just encouraging the conversation is so key and not putting our own biases or our own struggles or thoughts out there. Not to say that we shouldn't share if we're having struggles because we are real people. And yeah, sometimes that helps them to connect and feel like, oh, okay, well, um, Mr. Miss So-and-so also maybe struggles with it sometimes. No, I think that's really important to be honest about that Uh, with the older kids, you know, when they're older and you can say, you know, look, there are moments when I'm just like, I don't know, I'm kind of struggling. Or when we're teaching about tefillah, you know, that, that sometimes we can talk about really our approach and and what works for us. Because I remember I had this teacher who was amazing, Rebbitz and Shira Smiles, incredible. And she was teaching us about tefillah and she was telling us, this is what I need to do for me because this is what works for me. This is what helps me focus and so forth. It was incredible. She gave us all of these tips that she does. And so, you know, we didn't put her on a pedestal and say like, oh, you know, I'll never be like that. She shared with us real tools to help us focus in our davening, which I thought was great. That Yeah, that really is. I'm actually curious how you balance it all, you know, being an educator and you were, you taught in the classroom, you do consulting and um, you've written books and curriculum, and then you still have a family that, you know, you take care of. I know your kids are not young, young anymore. But how, how do you balance it? How do you manage the time commitments? <laughs> it's such a good question. Because when I was writing my book, you know, it took a couple years and, you know, the publishers were like, draft five. So, <laughs> you know, while, which was good when I was teaching English, because I could explain to my students why when I made them do the third draft that, you know, I was like, listen, I had to do five drafts in an entire book. So don't complain about your third draft of a, you know, three-page essay. But uh, but for kids, you know, it is hard. And I did worry. I mean, I it worked out because I had one kid living at home and one who was already out of the house through most of everything that I was doing when I wrote my book, when I got my master's, when I was working, you know, a bunch, just everywhere, full-time in the classroom and wow. creative and doing all these other things. It was overwhelming and it was tiring. 
And I was younger, so that was good. <laughs> Not that much younger, but you know, young and younger than I am now. So, but it was it was hard. But my son, I really didn't start doing those kinds of things. I think until my son was eleven or twelve. And also, my husband is so incredible. He is so supportive, and you know, I honestly I could not be doing this without him. Absolutely. But that's a real blessing for sure. Yeah. Is he also in education or anything? He is, for better or worse. Usually it's better. But yes, he is an educational technology genius. And uh, so he does he does some teaching and he does IT stuff and he does, you know, teaching about educators technology. I've learned so much from him and that's very exciting. So, I mean, I've, I've been on the cutting edge as a teacher of technology for a long time, but it's really because of my husband and my son and also seventh graders that I used to have a while ago that taught me in a, I was working at a Jewish day school and the seventh graders all taught me how to do at that time, because it was before I was married, uh, how to do sort of what was cutting edge at that time. And it was very exciting. And they showed me that when you use technology correctly, and not just try to throw it in there for the sake of using technology, but actually match your tools with your goals. Then, and that's also what my husband has always said as well. When we do that, those tools can be super powerful. And um, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way, or people get very scared of technology. And so, like one of the amazing things about, no, let me rephrase that. I was going to say one of the amazing things about the pandemic. It wasn't. The pandemic has been horrible. But a silver lining that has come out of it is that a lot of teachers have learned tech tools that they can learn, that they can use not only online, but they can also use them in the classroom. And I've always wanted to help teachers do that. And so many were resistant or didn't see how to use it. And then suddenly, like, I was nonstop busy for such a long time with other workshops that I do too about pedagogy and different courses, but a lot of it had to do with tech tools and how to use them in creative and interesting and important ways that, that really, you know, can engage students. So that was a, a very roundabout question. I mean, I don't even remember. What the- it's really amazing what the use of technology and what it's allowed us to do. And like you said, I, I know COVID has been so hard for all of us, but it definitely seems like there have been some good things that have come out of it. And so if we can continue to focus on those positive things moving forward, I, I think we'll be, you know, in a good right. in a good place. Yeah. And we have to try to pull those things out as much yeah. as we can because it's really hard. I agree. And hopefully with returning a bit more back to normalcy and everything, we'll use more of those things we've learned during COVID and incorporate them more. I I hope to see that. I hope so too. I really do. Education or chinuch in Hebrew, it can be a little bit of an amorphous term. How would you define education? Education to me is the exchange of information and ideas. And Hinuch particularly is, right, the, the transmission of Jewish wisdom, Jewish text, uh, how to connect spiritually with God, how to connect to Jewish people. There's so many things, but it's really just about an exchange of 
information. And the reason why I say exchange is because we often think the teacher is giving to the student, which can be true, but the students are also giving to the teacher. And the teachers, if the teachers can allow themselves to be open, I've been blown away by things that my students have taught me. So blown away. And so I really think that in, in that sense, it's an exchange. But I also think that the best of Chinuch should be about teaching people how to think critically, how to open their minds and go deeper instead of just being like fed information and just like, I, you know, you're the receptacle, I'm giving you this information. Um, I, I really think it has to be deeper than that, especially for Judaism to continue and thrive. It's very interesting that you mentioned that as we're having a message exchange with my mother-in-law earlier today and just talking about education and she had sent us a podcast and they were talking about their experience going to Jewish day school and and you can tell me what your thoughts are on this too but it does seem like a lot of our Jewish education has been influenced by the public school conveyor belt model where it's like everyone goes in the same, you learn kind of the same things and like, Oh, spit out. You're kind of the same. And that's not to say everyone is the same, but it's just maybe has been a loss a bit of teaching a child according to their way. Right. That we learn in Proverbs. Absolutely. Have you noticed that also? Oh yes. It's one of my biggest goals is to help, you know, that's why I got into Jewish education, because I wanted to make a bigger impact because I, what I see and I still see is exactly what you're saying, especially in the day schools where they think that the Judaic studies should be somehow akin to the general studies. It's and they so they do it in a very similar, like you said, it's very, very similar when they shouldn't be anything. I mean, it. And also in like secondary schools, like when people go to what we used to call Hebrew school or religious schools or what congregational schools, whatever they're called, they also shouldn't be done in that traditional mode of like public school. A kid's been to public school now the whole day. The last thing they need is for Judaism to be like their math class or their science class. And it's the same thing with the day schools. And I'm so frustrated. I mean, I think from a person who has a podcast called Overthrowing Education, (laughs) I think it's all needs to be like even the general education. I mean, that's mostly my podcast is about general education, but everything that I'm talking about can be applied to Jewish day schools as well. It's all the same things. And so to some schools credits, they really try. I mean, there's, there's some pretty amazing Jewish day schools out there that are doing incredible things. Tikva Weiner has a great school and there's, there's some really good things happening there, but overall it's just stuck in that mode. And I so want them to like, why are we grading a Judaic studies class? Like it makes no sense. I mean, I don't believe in grades anyway. I believe in feedback and mastery and those sorts of things in every subject, but Koval Homer, all the more so it should be for Judaic studies. Like you're going to say, I'm a C Jew. I'm a D Jew because I didn't, you know, tests on that test. That's the other thing drives me insane. I don't think, again, I don't think education in general should be doing tests and quizzes. They should be doing authentic and creative assessments, period. It's so much more effective in trying to understand 
what our students know, can do, and what they understand. It's so much more well-rounded. It makes so much more sense. And the students really love doing them. And it, it has so many incredible benefits. So all the more so we should be doing that in our Judaic studies classes. Why are we doing tests and quizzes like right. it's a, you know, like it's a science class or a math class? It's just that piece. If we could turn that around, that would be a huge game changer for Jewish day schools. Wow, that's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. But you know what they say? It says you don't have to finish the task, but you have to at least, this is my paraphrase, but you at least have to try to get started. You have to, you have to work on it. So. Right. I can see that there are some schools and some educators within schools who are trying to do that and trying to make a difference. And with Judaism, right, we're not just trying to give them facts or memorize these things. Mm-hmm. This is a way of life, right? We're trying to prepare them to be adults who, God willing, are, you know, they're going to be Jewish and yeah. um, be anchored in these values of Torah and that we're teaching them. And you can't do that if you're just trying to teach them to memorize things. Right. And right. doesn't and help. Have, yeah, it doesn't help. And really our goal should be to help people find relevance for themselves and meaning for themselves and connection. That's what we should be going for. And I'm sorry, but that can't happen with a test or a quiz and and a traditional way of frontal teaching, you know, just it's so traditional and, and, you know, taking notes and frontal teaching, Um, you know, and I say that (laughs) when I was telling you about my teacher, and, you know, she goes through the text and she tells us, but she also adds so much in it and she asks us questions and even though we're online, but she also, she gives us incredible examples, you know, in every kind of field that to tie us in, to connect us to the material. Right. So that's, you know, that's what we try to do. We should try to do. Yeah. That's so important. Kind of piggybacking off of that discussion and talking about Torah too, how can we help our students to build a strong Torah foundation? Because you mentioned relevancy. Yeah. So how do we do that? The first thing we need to do is help our students understand that, like I said before, you're you're not done. Like there's a reason why we read the Torah every year, the same thing. It's like, well, didn't we read Bereshit last year? Like, do we really have to read Genesis again this year? But every time... <laughs> I bring something different to it as depending on where I'm at and every, I I have never, I mean, I've been, there are people who are lifelong. I'm not 25 years. I've been learning and every year I learn something new. I see a deeper insight that affects me in a different way because of where I'm at. So if we can convey that idea that there is depth and meaning and relevance in the Torah and to me, that is the biggest challenge, and I think that that's what would help our students have that foundation. Now, saying that, I also think it's amazing to help our students learn how to translate the text because it makes you feel like you have ownership. Now, I'm not fluent in my translation, but once I started really being able to translate, it was kind of a game changer for me because yeah. I, I felt such a more connection. I could understand it in a different way. And so anything that we can do to help students do that, but not because it's, we do it like we were saying before in an academic way, 
It's because we want to show them how much more connection they will have. I used to do a, an activity with my students who, where I would show them different English translations from different homishes, a, you know, for a particular section. And we would compare and contrast them and, you know, and talk about how translation is commentary and it could change the way you look at something. And then we would go back into the Hebrew and figure it out. And you could see the students were like, oh, interesting, interesting that they picked that word or that word. We want people to be able to own their learning, to feel connected, like they, they have a piece of the Torah, they have an ownership of the Torah. Right. It says that each one of us has a letter in the Torah. We need to be able to feel that and 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 know what that letter is, meaning we can actually, you know, read the letters and stuff. Even if there, you know, there's places where Hebrew's not the main thing. We still need to help people with the depth of what's in there. And that they know that if they did Bereshit as a six-year-old, that when they do it as a sophomore in high school or whatever, that it's going to be completely different and we need to go deeper with them. But we can even go deeper with with the younger kids. It doesn't have to be all, you know, this is stories and I don't know, what's the moral to that story? It's not, it doesn't have to be about that. I think so too. And And like you said about looking at the text and there's such a power in learning the different Shorashim and for example, Kuf Dalad Shin, right? Okay, you know it's gonna mean something like holy or something along that Definitely. line. Holy all the things you know and how they're all connected. All of those <laughs> yeah, things. Connected, it's yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, I love it. And <laughs> and honestly, if I'm being honest, um I am not a fluent Hebrew speaker. I'm not even a great I'm not even I don't even know if I could be a good Hebrew speaker. I translate way better than I can speak modern Hebrew. So it doesn't have to be like people are like, yeah, but I don't know Hebrew. You can you can know it enough to be able to translate. You can it will help in the modern Hebrew too, by the way. Uh it definitely yeah. helps me. But um it does. I yeah, I agree. What have you found Bacheva to be your biggest challenge that you faced as an educator? Relates back to some of the things that we were talking about. For me as an educator, one of my biggest challenges, convincing other people, educators, administrators, also educators, teachers, the importance of the student-centered, inquiry-based, you know, experiment, uh, experiential, project-based learning, thinking creatively, all of those things, that's my biggest challenge is getting people to see it getting people to understand it. Because sometimes like I'll give a workshop, I have something called lenses of questioning, which is a methodology that I formulated to help, first of all, teachers ask a wider variety of kind of question, and then to help train their students ask a wider variety of kind of question. It really helps with their analytical and critical thinking skills. And it's also really fun. The the way we do it is, is really fun. So I often teach that workshop and some of the teachers, they love it. And then they go and do it and work on it. And I hear about it and that's great. But a lot of them, they like, this is really cool. And they will never do it in their class. And I know that with everything that I teach, they're like, this is great. And then it will never happen because they go back to what's comfortable. And if the school's administration supports that and, you know, but it's hard, it's hard to get people to change what they're used to and what they, you know, well, it works for me. so. 
um, you know, I always say when people say, now I've been doing it this way for 25 years. And uh, I say, but really what it is, is you've been teaching the same year 25 times. Seems like it's, it's a slow process to, yes. you know, do that. But. but there's a lot of people out there. I am so encouraged that more and more people, both in the Jewish world and in the general ed world, more and more people are starting to see this, are starting to connect with it, wanting to learn more, wanting to do more. And that to me is very exciting. That is exciting. And all the different ways of learning that, you know, just who would have thought before, like we mentioned podcasts already, and obviously you have to check your source and all of that, but, you know, YouTube channels and different Rebbeim who have talks that you can just listen to. It's really amazing. There's some great Torah podcasts out there of, you know, whatever denomination a person is, there's, you know, wherever they're at, there's so many good Jewish content podcasts. I listened to one by um, David Sachs, who just is so deep and amazing. Uh, I really love his podcast. So, you know, there's, there, and there's so many others that are just really interesting. There are Jewish history ones. There are, there's, you know, it's everything, funny ones. It's, you know, you can find anything you want and really learn a lot that way. I agree. There's so, so many, so many different ways to learn, which is amazing. Yeah. What advice would you give to new Jewish educators who are just beginning their journey? You know, try to stick with it if you're passionate about it. Be open to growth in every way, like personal growth, growth in content knowledge, learning, 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 you know, in, so that you have more for yourself, so you have more to feed out, you know, and to really keep upping your pedagogy you know, keep reaching and reaching and trying and experimenting. And if you, if something fails, like, all right, what did I learn from that? And move forward and not to get too discouraged by, you know, there's a lot of things that could really discourage a person out there and to try not to let that, you know, really affect them. And also we need to start fighting for fair wages. So that's a big thing too. That is a big thing. Yes. What do you think successful Jewish education will look like in the future? I know this is a challenging one. (laughs) In my head, I can envision it and it's beautiful and it's so different than like what's happening now, but so much more effective where we start thinking about every single aspect of it and questioning, does it have to be this way? What's a potentially better way? Can we try this? What might happen? And like really be open to completely, you know, I hate to say overthrowing education, but really trying to see what's out there. Like for instance, do we have to be for say secondary schools, religious schools, whatever, do we have to be in a building in a classroom? Do we have to be, you know, and, and in the day schools, does our classroom have to have a traditional setup of desks and facing forward and, you know, all of those kinds of things. What can we do? What's the best way? What kind of furniture can we put in? I mean, even down to that. And then also like the other things that I was mentioning, how are we teaching so that we don't have to make kids anxious about learning and, and unhappy about learning or think that they have got it all because they got an A on that test and like, but they don't, you know, do they really know anything? Do, do they feel, do they feel connected? So I think that 
I would love to see a future of Jewish education where people are just, the students are on fire, the teachers are on fire, like in a good way, and um, just excited and want to be there. And like I said, a, a synthesis of everybody's ideas and knowledge and, and having students feel like they have a part in this continuum of Torah, that it's not just something that we got a long time ago. It continues to grow and we can continue to connect with it. So if we can do all of those things, I think that we would, you know, I think that would be a good future. Well, we have our work cut out for us, but I think we can do it just between (laughs) all these different ways of learning and all these wonderful podcasts we have. And I think we really have some great educators who are trying to Um, for lack of a better term, think outside of the box and have different ways of learning and really trying to meet their students where they're at. I think that is great to see. Yes. And I think uh, just the one last thing, because you mentioned it, there are amazing educators out there and we can all learn from each other and share. And there's, there's definitely places where people are doing that. And I think it's really great, whether it's, you know, on a Facebook group or you know, within a building or whatever, you know, Twitter, whatever those things are, the way we connect, really learning from each other uh, and and encouraging each other and moving ourselves forward because there are a lot of really great teachers out there. Yeah, there really are. So collect to all the educators out there. And I, it's not easy work, that is for sure, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, it's rewarding. And that's, that's why we do it. It's, yep. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit, you know, sit down with me and be interviewed and share your story and wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Yasmina. I really appreciate being asked. It was really nice to be with you. And I look forward to actually checking out your podcast too. So I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> you'll see, you'll see a lot of my acting uh, training and <laughs> so forth that, that, uh, that's in there as well. Yeah. I thought, um, do you do video or is it strictly audio? At this point, it's strictly audio. But okay. one of the things that I do that's really different and fun is that at, towards the beginning of every episode, I do what I call a commercial, which is a commercial parody of a fake education product that we wish were real. And so they're a lot of fun and to put together and produce. And it kind of really... You know, all that, when I mentioned before, all my theater background and film background, it it feeds into all of that. And I really love it. It's a lot of fun. That's so fun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right, everyone check out uh, Bacheva's podcast, Overthrowing Education, right? That's the one. Okay, cool. Wishing you all the best. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast.